The Guardian. Welcome to Science Weekly. We're continuing to explore the science behind the COVID-19 outbreak and delve into some of the questions you've sent in to us. And we would love to keep hearing from you via the form we've set up. Head over to theguardian.com forward slash COVID-19 questions, all one word. In today's episode, we're looking forward to future outbreaks, something that Luke from Dublin wrote to us about. He asked, when experts say this is possibly the first of many pandemics, what do they mean? Is the probability of global disease outbreaks such as these increasing? To jump into this question, I spoke to Kate Jones, a professor of ecology and biodiversity at UCL. I think on balance, the evidence does show that outbreaks of infectious diseases in general are increasing. It's something that many experts and politicians have been asking themselves. Should we be anticipating future global pandemics? And if outbreaks are becoming more common, why is that? I'm Ian Sample, and this is Science Weekly. Kate, I'm going to just say hello to you again, as if I haven't already. Um, Kate, how are you? Thank you for joining us. Hi, Ian. Thanks very much for inviting me. <laughs> How's the lockdown uh, treating you? Are you coping so far? Are you actually getting to go anywhere? Uh, not really. I'm a vulnerable category because I picked up a, a zoonotic disease, <laughs> another zoonotic disease from a bat cave in Puerto Rico when I was about 20. Oh, no. And it's caused me to have uh, nodules in my lungs. So I'm more susceptible to pneumonia. Oh, so goodness. I've been trying to keep my head down. Well, you suffer for your science, don't you? <laughs> Kate, as soon as reports on this latest coronavirus started coming out of China, people suspected that it had come from animals and got into humans, perhaps at this uh, wet food market in Wuhan. How common is it for a pathogen to move out of an animal into a person? These um, zoonotic diseases, as they're called, are they common? Yeah, about two-thirds, three-quarters of all human infectious diseases are originally from animals, as in they're called zoonotic diseases, or they're vector-borne, which means that they're transmitted by couriers, which are often arthropods like malaria and dengue fever. So many diseases in, in our human history are actually from animals. So it is quite common for diseases to spill over. It's very, very uncommon for such a pathogen to then be transmittable between humans. And that's presumably because most of these viruses that spill over from animals into humans just aren't that well adapted to humans, at least initially. Yeah, two thirds of all zoonotic diseases, uh, uh, humans are dead end hosts for them. So nothing happens, right? nothing happens at all. And then for a few of those can transmit between humans, but it's only one or two people. There's not sustained transmission. And then a tiny fraction uh, like Ebola, SARS, HIV, AIDS are able to ha evolve, adapt and do some clever stuff to <laughs> our immune mm. systems in order to be able to transmit more freely among human populations. So how hard is it to pinpoint whether a disease has come from an animal or not? I think this is a, a chronically under-researched area of science. We hardly know 
very much about what pathogens are in different animal species. And that's not surprising because there's so many of them and there could be so many more pathogens. And all animals on the planet, all plants and animals on the planet host their own pathogens. There's no surprise about that. It's just that we don't really know what this kind of viral and pathogen diversity is. So, you know, it is quite difficult to know <laughs> what all the pathogens are. And, you know, it, it takes time and, and money to kind of survey all these species. And, 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 you know, the genetic techniques have only been around for a decade, for example, to, to even do it. But can you get a virus out of a human and look at the genetic code and then see if you can find a match in uh, an animal, um, which may not be a particularly easy way or, or even a, a very um, conclusive way of doing it. But is that really the route that it's uh, that's used? Yeah, I think there are several routes really. And, and the current COVID-19 pandemic example, we know that a virus has been isolated in some horseshoe bat species which is, you know, 97, 96% similar to the one that we have. But that's not proof that it's come from bats. But it is suggestive that, you know, they are the reservoir hosts. We don't understand where all the other kind of differences have come from. And other species are, have been implicated, like pangolins, for example. But nobody really understands this at the moment. Anecdotally, at least, and I know anecdotes are dangerous in science, but it, it does seem as if outbreaks of infectious diseases are becoming more common. And we've had things like SARS and MERS, Ebola, swine and bird flu, obviously this latest coronavirus. But what does the scientific evidence say? Are these outbreaks becoming more common? Yes, I think on balance, the evidence does show that outbreaks of infectious diseases in general are increasing. There was a study that kind of looked at all outbreaks from 1980 to the 2000s and, and showed an increase in the total number of outbreaks of all kinds of things like zoonotic as, as well as foodborne. And then a study that I did in the early 2000s showed that pattern was similar for emerging infectious diseases, which are are novel diseases that are new to human populations. So that was from 1940 to the early 2000s again. So it seems that there are, as ever, multiple factors here. It's an increasing population, just more humans around and more connections between us, more international travel, I presume, but also other effects with us actually moving into the landscape where a lot of these animals are living and carrying these viruses, correct? I think to answer that question, you have to consider that the pathways of transmission between animals and humans are really quite varied. So you can have very simple direct transmission between an animal reservoir host and a human. So that could be, say, Ebola, for example, where you know exposure to that pathogen then caused a big pandemic. And then you can also just have human-born ones, which are vector-driven, like malaria, for example. So when you start to think about, well, what are the drivers? It's, it's anything that changes those transmission pathways between animals and people. And one of the 
biggest things that is happening is that there are more people in, in the environment. So you've got more chances of spillovers happening, but you've also got increased degradation of that habitat. And you've also got a lot of movement of animals and vectors and people around the planet. So you've got kind of very changing dynamic situation, which is acting on these pathways. One of the biggest sources of infectious diseases are domestic species. <laughs> so when we're increasing agricultural intensification and livestock densities, you know, they're also encountering wildlife pathogens, or it could be entirely domestic livestock pathogens that we're getting. And recombinations of those then could be infecting us. Like for example, you know, avian influenza is, is probably a pathogen which we're adapting to, but it's kind of mutating and capturing different parts of genetic sequences from different animals to recombine. So those are then causing big outbreaks like swine flu, for example, in 2009, which probably killed about half a million people. So, so I think it's a very complex picture. And I think you've got to remember that there are these lots and lots of different pathways. But when we degrade systems or we intensify the land use or we put more domestic species on, we're changing those pathways. And, you know, it, we really need to understand <laughs> what what that really means. You know, we need to understand what the consequences are of, of habitat degradation on those pathways to then make a kind of predictive model of what might happen in the future. I mean, having said how fiendishly complex all of this is and how interconnected it all is, it seems unfair to ask you to look into your crystal ball, but I do wonder whether you expect to see more outbreaks in the near future? <laughs> I think I've spent the last 20 years trying to predict zoonotic disease outbreaks, not very <laughs> successfully, clearly. <laughs> but um, we've been trying to understand these processes in a generalizable framework so that we can then make some global predictions in space and time about where this will happen. And it's not like a lightning strike or thunder. It's, it's, it's not just random. We can think about where the animals are. You know, we roughly know that. Where the pathogens are, mm, <laughs> a bit shady on that. What the transmission pathways are, we know that for some, we don't know that for others. Where the humans are, we know that really well. We know what their susceptibility is roughly. You know, we know what they do in those landscapes. We know what the landscape looks like. So if we could try and put those things together, you can start to make predictions of riskier landscapes. And I tried to do that in a paper in the early 2000s where we mapped out where we thought the hotspots were for emerging infectious diseases and some interactions between wildlife species, but also where there are huge amounts of humans so that you could understand what that interface could look like and they could make a simple prediction about, well, those are more risky than other areas. But I think we need to have a much more nuanced understanding of those pathways and the interactions between habitat change and climate change to then make a prediction. What's coming next then? <laughs> well, I mean, the biggest threat that the world has recognised is 
you know, recombinations of influenza. I mean, that's mm. pandemic influenza is the is the biggest risk on the biggest risk register across the planet because it happens so often, I think, and we're not – and flu is amazing. You know, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we, but like something like uh, coronavirus has also been predicted for a while. Like pre-pandemic, there's so many papers that said – what about coronaviruses in bats? They're very similar to the ones that cause SARS and MERS. Perhaps we should be looking in South China for these outbreaks and maybe we should be putting some more interventions in to stop this happening. So I think it's not about predicting anymore. <laughs> I think it's about acting on the information that the ecologists are actually giving the public health people. <laughs> it's like trying to link those areas up a bit more. So you know, public health interventions to, to prevent diseases rarely, if ever, think about the ecological processes that have generated those diseases. And I, I think that's a, I think it's a massive, massive problem, which COVID has kind of exposed. Can we reduce the risk of future outbreaks occurring or do we just need to get used to taking them on the chin? Uh, absolutely, we can. And I think there are obviously going to be trade-offs in terms of uh, how we manage the land for more humans and produce more food. But I think there are win-wins there. Like We can keep intact forests without people in them, which also means that we store carbon, we have cleaner air, you know, we have to mitigate that between production of food. But, you know, these are kind of there must be some win-wins here that we can try to work out. But if we don't know what the trade-offs we're making, it's very difficult to make a plan. Kate, thank you ever so much for joining us. It's been fascinating. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thanks again to Kate. And also thank you for your support as listeners. In times like this, trusted news is more important than ever. And here at The Guardian, we're 100% committed to accurate and reliable news. But in order to help us do that, we need your support. To find out more, please go to theguardian.com forward slash support podcasts, all one word. Stay in where you can, keep washing your hands and see you back here soon. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.